On this episode, I spend a lot of time on the Idaho massacre. I analyze a confusing suicide. I read an article about true crime obsession. And I cover a whole bunch of other stuff, including the World Cup. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound Live for November 21st, 2022. Good evening, everyone, or should I say good night? <laughs> good night's usually good. It means goodbye, right? Good evening, everyone. Uh, of course, this is Unfound Live for, for November 21st, 2022. And I appreciate all of you who are taking time out of your Monday night during this Thanksgiving week. To tune in, to watch, to listen, and all of you who are catching this as a podcast with audio only, thank you for being subscribed. Deeply appreciate it. Got a great show for you tonight. A lot of unfound stuff, a lot of non-unfound stuff. Got a few... Uh, personal items to talk about, but not as many as uh, usual. There just really hasn't been much really going on, uh, you know, really not much gone, went on in my uh, personal life this week, this past week. Um, it's been, uh, I don't want to insult everybody and say that the uh, weather uh, is here has been ugly. Um, just not very Florida-like. And so I haven't been out, um, did ride my bike, but really have not done any disc golf throwing, even though I'm supposed to play in a tournament, not this weekend, but next weekend. But right now I'm thinking about just canceling it. But uh, before I get into uh, all of that stuff, uh, please remember, if you are not yet a subscriber to this YouTube channel, just hit the bottom, uh, the little red button in the bottom right hand corner of the screen. Or if you're listening to this as an audio um, episode, I suppose you maybe you're already subscribed to the podcast. So maybe that's as much as I can expect. And I really, really appreciate it. Uh, please give this video a thumbs up. You know, I say that. I think I've been saying that since show one way back. Has to be five years ago that I started this live show. Now this is something that did not come along, uh, I think, until late 2017. Pretty sure. So the podcast itself had been out for over a year before this live show ever got started, and then it was it was on Tuesdays for a while. Then it was on Wednesdays for a very 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 long time, and then as you now know, uh, it's been on Mondays. Uh, for the last few months, and uh, it's probably one of the best decisions I've made as far as workflow and everything. So give this a th thumbs up. Helps us with the YouTube algorithms, 
And as uh, I always uh, tell you, please consider hitting the join button below and become a monetary supporter for very, very low cost for this uh, on this channel. And you get some cool stuff um, because of that. So check that out by hitting the join button. And also, if you um, feel so uh, inclined while you are here live tonight on November 21st, 2022, it's right now it's 9.04 Eastern time in the ni- at night. I guess that would be what in military time that would be 21.04. Please consider hitting the super chat button down there below. Uh, and the little square with the dollar sign in it, and you can monetarily contribute that way as well. And, and dare I say it, um, for October, I want to thank everybody because uh, we had quite a few Super Chat contributors for the month of October. So let's uh, continue to continue, uh, let's continue to do that in November. So let's see who's in here, and then I'll uh, start into this outline and. Uh, did not get any questions before the show started tonight. So if anybody has any burning questions that if you do not ask them to me, that they will burn right out of your head. Uh, now would be a good time to type them in the chat. Assistant Carrie gets in first. Uh, that uh, Carrie, that has to be a first, right? That has maybe never happened before, but it's good to see you, Carrie. Thank you. Hello, Valerie and Suzanne and Karen and nephew Charles. Charles, uh, uh, you spending? I suppose you're spending Thanksgiving uh, with the sons. I'm wondering if uh, anybody else is involved out there in Colorado. Hello, Lisa. Uh, if you uh, if you're in the chat and you're wondering what is it with all these people in green? Those are all members of this channel, and they get some cool stuff uh, to being members. That's you get that by hitting the join button. Please consider to do uh, consider doing so. And uh, Jasmine and the Roracle, Roracle, good talking to you uh, earlier this evening. Kathy, uh, Cherie, thank you for moderating tonight. Um, Glenn, Kathy, um, Jill, sup? She always comes in with her sup. Love it. And. Um, Carrie says, I don't want to hear about your not real Florida-like weather. Currently 30 degrees here. Hey, Carrie, anytime you want to move, you can. (laughs) Sarah, good to see you. Greetings from New York. What part of New York, Sarah? And everybody's wishing uh, Sheree, um, giving her some condolences. Of course, last Monday talked about how Sheree's mother was killed in an accident. Uh, Laura, uh, you're doing so much better. Good to hear it. Kathy says it's low seventies in Southern California. Imagine that. And, uh, Laura's ready to go home. Uh, Charlie. Oh, my nephew, Charlie actually did beat you into there for being first. Carrie, I'm, I have to admit, I'm even impressed that you're seconds seconds. So don't feel bad about that. Charles says, yep. Hanging out with Allie and her family. Okay. And, uh, all right, everybody's uh, continuing to send Sheree some well wishes. Charlie is cool. Yes, Charlie is cool. All right. Uh, what's been going on with me? I've been getting out in my bike a little bit. Um, 
here just driving. I've been riding down. I'm continuing. I'm not playing Powerball now that it's gone back to like $20 million. But now that Mega Millions has gotten up into that 200, getting near that 300 million range, uh, to get exercise, I have been riding my bike down to the nearest place uh, where they sell the tickets. And that is a mobile gas station, which is south of me. And I've talked about, I think, about this place before. It is almost right across the street where Kelly Rothwell was murdered by David Perry. It's almost right across the street. In fact, when I'm biking down there, I go right past that condo where that surely happened. And then the gas station is probably only another 100 feet on the other side of the street. So I've been riding fast. So, you know, I I do get a workout of it. It's not like I'm lazing down there. The tires in my on my bike are now all pumped up. And so it's, of course, easier to pedal than that time I went down there a couple of weeks ago. I told you all about that when the tires were basically flat. But um, I can now get down there and back probably under 40 minutes. So if any of you live uh, in this area, don't be surprised if you're riding up Golf Boulevard or down Golf Boulevard and you think this you think this guy, I, this guy looks like Ed Denzel who hosts Unfound. It probably is me. So I've been getting some good exercise doing that. Feel really refreshed. Of course, this is the perfect time of year to be doing that. It's not really, really hot now. And so that's nice. So beginning a good workout doing that really don't feel any uh, effects uh, of it. No soreness because I'm 52 in my legs, no soreness, anything like that. So probably I could afford to go even faster and certainly farther. But on the other hand, uh, I have to admit, I'm not the biggest a uh, fan. I I have to admit that I don't. Most of the biking that I do is not out in the street, even though I know that's what you're supposed to do. I don't trust anybody out there in the cars. That's the way I drive too. So in a bike, it's even worse. So so I'm out on the sidewalk biking, and if I come upon people walking or people with dogs, luckily with the kind of bike that I have, I can just go off into the grass go kind of um, two-wheeling, as it were, without any problem. But most of the biking I'm doing going down there and back is riding on the sidewalk. But it's a good workout. And I'll probably throw around the idea as I get more comfortable with it, going farther, but probably farther means going off into some of these side streets and everything. I don't know how far I really want to keep going down Golf Boulevard. I could go the opposite direction, which is up toward going toward Clearwater Beach, but there's a pretty big uh, bridge that goes over there. And I don't know if I really want to get into all of that. We'll just have to see because this bike doesn't have like 26 gears like a lot of road bikes do. It's not really even a road bike, only has, I think, six gears or something like that. So Plus, with the thicker tires, it's not as easy to pedal. But we'll just have to see how that goes. 
Uh, otherwise, I've also um, getting back to going to the gym. In fact, I went down to the gym this evening. I am starting to lift weights again. Not a lot of weight, but I'm doing a, a full body workout with dumbbells that can be done in under an hour. And that seems to be working out, forgive the pun, uh, pretty, pretty well, I think. So I'm going to continue to do that. Been doing that every other day. So it's like one day I do the weights and then the next day I do the biking. So I don't do them on the same day. And somewhere within there, once I get back to practicing my disc golf, I'm going to have to work that in there as well. But it's feeling good so far. And this is surely more working out, devoted working out that I've done in quite a while. But I was due. And you should know back like, you know, certainly going back, I mean, 20 years ago, like when I worked at Star Trek, I would be in the gym an hour and a half before I even went to Star Trek. We usually had to be at Star Trek about quarter after 10 in the morning. I would be in the gym probably at around 8 and I'd work out to maybe 9.30. Uh, no, it has to be earlier than that. Probably 7.30 in the morning, then work out till 9, take a shower, and then drive. That's what I used to do. That was my schedule back at the time. And then I, because uh, I had a gym in my apartment complex, in the apartment complexes. And then I became a me- member of the Las Vegas Athletic Co- Club. Had a membership there. I used to use a lot until I moved from Las Vegas. Then here. I had a gym membership, but now in this building, uh, there's a gym in this uh, building that really, for the most part, I have um, <laughs> pretty much ignored a little bit. So it's good to be getting down there, and I have yet to really run into anybody uh, down there. So it's kind of like my own personal gym, which is nice. Let's see what everybody uh, is saying here before I go. Um, too far. Uh, Sarah says she lives a little north of New York City. I've not really ever been in that area of New York. And uh, Screaming, how are you? Good to see you, Screaming. Deborah, what's up? Good to see you. Uh, Carrie says, I get plenty of exercise at work, especially this time of year. Yeah, I, I bet you do, Carrie. Um... Karen asked, do you wear a helmet on the bike? No, I don't. Actually, I wear an unfound hat on the bike. And uh, Valerie says, it's safer to drive in Florida versus Las Vegas. Man, that's a great question, Valerie. There, there is a solid question. Um, I would say that the drivers in Las Vegas are better drivers than they are in Florida. Uh, I find myself getting much more exasperated and and crazed by Florida drivers than I ever did in Las Vegas, even though for like the last five years that I lived in Las Vegas, I had a job where I was driving all over Las Vegas. Um, I think one of the problems that I have here in this particular area is that And this is not just for me living out here at the beach, but pretty much most of the people who live in Pinellas County, unless you live kind of down toward the south part, is that 
uh, it's a it's a little hard to get to a highway. Now, granted, the 19 is okay, but that's on the east side of the county. Everybody who lives like on the west side of this county, that highway is not close. Whereas when you live, when I lived in Las Vegas, as much road building as they were doing when I was there, and I just saw a tremendous amount of highway building and street building while I was there. It was crazy. When you live there, you're, you, you never live more than five minutes from a highway. And it's, it's like a two, uh, like a three lane highway, whether it's the 15, the 95, the 215, and you can get to go where you need to go. And the way they term it out there is there's like the highways and then the surface streets. Because the reason they call it the surface streets is because those streets are right on the land. They are right on the desert floor where all, all the highways, of course, are elevated. And that made getting around that town pretty easy. Here in Pinellas County, at least, it's not like that. And I would even say comparing this to um, like the East Coast, like I can remember going to um, Ocean City, uh, Maryland a few times. I've been to Seaside Heights in New Jersey. I remember um, that one reality show like that was on MTV in the late 90s into the 2000s. That's where it was filmed. Uh, Seaside Heights, many times. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, my my aunt and uncle lived not too far from there, so we'd go down there. But you, um, if you go to any of those beaches going out, there are highways that go directly to the beach. There's a highway, you know, three lane, four lane highway that comes down into the beach town, and then if you need to go south or north, you know, you can just go that way. You don't have anything like that here. Um, so you can go from Pennsylvania, for example, the whole way to Seaside Heights and be on nothing but highways the whole time and never hit a single stoplight until you get to the beach. They do not have that, at least on this side of Florida. If you want to get to the beach here, you got to get off a highway and you're going through like 30 stoplights. <laughs> I'm hoping that uh, changes one of these days. I don't know if I'll live to see it, but it's one of the big things that I notice between uh, where I live here in Florida and going to other uh, beach communities in the past. Like I said, Ocean City has that. They have this, um, you know, long bridge that, you know, goes right down in there. Uh, you don't, it, it's pretty much unencumbered. You just don't have anything like that here. Maybe because they didn't think ahead or is it too tough for zoning? Or maybe it could be financial reasons because they know as soon as uh, they would build some highway like that from like the 275 or something from one of the causeways that just bypasses everything and goes right out here to the beaches. The businesses in between there would get hurt quite a bit. I don't know. But I realized that very quickly once I moved here. And, and it is exasperating. And that's why I always say that living out here, it takes you like a half hour to go anywhere. <laughs> 
So um, luckily, my grocery store is not too far away, but everything else, it, it's just kind of weird. Um, what's everybody? So it, I would say it's much safer to drive in Vegas, Valerie, because you just don't have to use as many. You don't go through as many intersections there because the highways are just better planned out better. And maybe because Las Vegas is such a newer city, whereas Pinellas County has been populated since the 1800s, maybe. Um, uh, does the unfound hat get a lot of attention? Uh, not not yet, Spleen. That's a good question. Thank you. Uh, Screaming says, Evelyn Hartley would have turned 84 today. Wow, thank you for letting me know. Screaming, wow, okay. Uh, coffee. Thank you. Uh, oh, regarding, uh, Jamie Valdez is on Patreon. I, I appreciate that. Yes. Uh, please sign up. going to keep bringing it up. Patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. It's one way to support what we do here. Carrie, I'm only about 40 ish minutes away from Whiteman air force base. So I have drivers from everywhere here. I won't tell you which state has the worst drivers. Uh, Missouri, Carrie, Missouri. Uh, Laura says, I love Ocean City, Maryland. Me too. Uh, but I've not been there since I think summer of 1994. Screaming says, I would rather drive in Los Angeles than Chicago. Never driven in Chicago. I've driven in Los Angeles many times. I think I've never, I I drove a huge box truck for the first time in my life in downtown LA traffic. And it really was no big deal. I think, I think that, uh, Las Vegas, Los Angeles traffic, as far as being bad is overrated. Uh, Kathy is disagreeing with me, but that, and that's fine. Uh, screaming. Thank you for your generous, uh, super chat contribution. I'm going to keep up the great work screaming. Thank you. And Screaming's also reminding everybody to hit the, the thumbs up. Laura says, I'm very close to Ocean County, and yeah, they have a lot of nice beaches. But yes, it's one in, way, way out, unless you're going to Delaware or Ocean, oh, Ocean City, Maryland. I'm sorry. Ocean City, unless you're going to Delaware, and they have great beaches also. Yes. Moving on, uh, as far as Thanksgiving plans, I'm going to go hang out with my friend Sarah. I was talking to her about this this evening. She's going to be doing the cooking. There will be other people there. And uh, I'm in charge of bringing the pies and the whipped cream, So, uh, which fits my personality perfectly. So that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, probably go over there and just hang out and eat. I don't know if we're going to watch any football or not or whatever else. Who knows? Uh, It's her house. We'll see what we do. But those are my plans for uh, Thanksgiving. And, yes, there will be an episode that comes out on Friday. I was working on it today, if you are wondering. But, yes, I'll have it done before Thanksgiving gets here. But for all of you people who get the episodes early, you will still get it early right there on Thanksgiving Day. Moving on, uh, one more, uh, just a personal item. Uh, The rest of the uh, show is going to be taken up with uh, a lot of true crime news out there that I certainly want to cover in depth. But the last 
personal item I wanted to talk about was the World Cup. Uh, I watched the match yesterday between Qatar and Ecuador. And then I watched all three matches today as I was doing unfound work. The United States kind of gave, dare I say it, kind of gave it away. And you should know I'm not a big soccer fan at all. But I am a United States fan. And so when the women or the men are playing, uh, I do make an effort to watch. And it was uh, a little bit disappointing regarding the United States men today. Uh, they were up one nothing, totally dominating in the first half. And then it was like the teams switched jerseys. And Wales got really good. United States got really bad. And in the end, they tied. And there's no way that should be. Uh, the United States, although it is not, we are not a, this country is not a soccer powerhouse. We've had some nice wins over the years, but we know as Americans, soccer is like what, like the eighth most important sport in the United States, whereas pretty much anywhere else in the world, it's number one, maybe Canada's ice hockey, but uh, pretty much anywhere else, Soccer is number one, so I, I don't. Of course, we have a population of 330 million. Think we could have some, find some good soccer players, but and we do, we have good ones, but they're very young, and they kind of gave it away today, and it ended up being one-one, and they should have won. They played Wales. The population of Wales is what one tenth, not somewhat less than that, one thirtieth of the United States. Uh, but it makes a difference, I think, when Wales, its number one sport is soccer. But in the United States, football, baseball, basketball, uh, golf, and a bunch of other things come in there before soccer even gets started. And so, although we have a lot of good soccer athletes, uh, as it has been said many times, imagine if going back in the day, imagine if basketball wasn't even close to a major sport and Michael Jordan uh, was out there on the soccer field. Just imagine, you know, this is kind of, I guess, what people talk about sometimes. So, um, but we should be better. And it was just kind of given away today. 1-1. And now on Friday, the United States, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, the uh, United States team plays England. And England, of course, is always a powerhouse. They did win the World Cup back in 1966. So they're due to win again. And uh, the United States will definitely be the underdog going in. The, but the problem is the United States needs a win. If they want to get past this group stage, they they probably have to win their next two games or tie England and then beat. They're going to play Iran of all countries. Just kind of a letdown there. So we'll just have to see. Um, the Real says here cricket is number one, but soccer is high on the list too. Yeah, they're in Australia, right? Uh, cricket and, uh, of course, Australian rules football that I've watched a few times. The Real, I think they've played that on uh, ESPN two here in the United States, uh, once or twice I've, I've caught it. And then rugby, uh, of course is a big sport, uh, in Australia, England and other places. And I've watched cricket before. I know cricket is a huge sport in India. 
And there is a, I think, a World Cup event for cricket as well. And I actually saw the disc golf course that's closest to me here at Taylor Park. I actually saw some years ago uh, a bunch of guys playing cricket in a field over there near the disc golf course. It was some years ago. must have been seven, eight years ago, something like that. Yeah, I understand soccer might not be the number one sport in Australia either. Maybe I can understand that. Uh, the Real says football codes are kind of regional here, though, too. Aussie rules isn't so big in Queensland, but rugby league is. Yeah, it's also similar. Valerie says, are you making chicken wings for Thanksgiving? I knew that question was going to come up. I do have some chicken wings. I made chicken wings a couple days ago, and I do have some left that I need to do something with them. I don't think these chicken wings are going to make it to Thursday. In fact, I'm probably going to cook them tomorrow, Valerie. Uh, I suppose I could wait and cook them maybe on Wednesday night, save them and bring them to my friend Sarah's on Thursday. I suppose I could do that as kind of a joke, maybe. Uh, they're certainly good enough for anybody to eat. They're high-quality wings. Don't think that's going to happen, though, Valerie. Maybe I'll think about it. If if I do, I'll let you know. But regarding the World Cup, of course, a lot of the uh, there's been a big controversy regarding Qatar. And uh, if you don't know, Qatar uh, had to bribe a lot of people to even get the World Cup. And then... Uh, there was uh, slave labor that uh, was used to build some of the the um, venues there. And then a lot of uh, people are, are, of course, concerned about human rights that go on in the Middle East. And uh, should we be holding even any events there that represent the world in any of those countries, considering their attitudes toward women, toward uh, people who are not heterosexual and, and all of that. And I, I don't know if uh, we as humans are ever going to sort all of that out. The problem is, is that it, it just depends on how, how stringent do you want to go. No country is perfect. No person is perfect. I suppose a line should be drawn somewhere. I just don't know where that line is. And so I understand all the complaints that are I'm still watching. But, you know, even here in the United States, uh, we watch teams or athletes who have um, very salacious personal lives. Uh, just in as, in, uh, as an example... Uh, even though I was a big Steeler fan at the time, when the Steelers picked up Michael Vick, who was a convicted dog killer, I stopped watching the Steelers. As long as he was on the team, I stopped watching. Now, most Steeler fans did not affect them at all. But then I think probably those some of those same fans are maybe looking at uh, what's going on in the World Cup in Qatar and on all of that and thinking, well, I can't watch that because of that. So everybody, I think, is a, a little bit of a hypocrite in one place or another regarding 
sports and who they're going to watch and who they're not going to watch. And for this reason and every reason else or some other reason. And I just, why I stay out of it. If you're looking for perfection, then you are on the wrong planet. You're just on the wrong planet. And yes, I wish those countries were different, but they're probably not going to change. That is the culture over there. And of course, they look at us and they think we're crazy too. Um, Kansas City is hosting the World Cup next year. That's my town. Uh, I don't think it's next year, Lisa. Uh, the next year is, yes, uh, Lisa, 2026. And Kansas City is one of many cities that's hosting it. None of the cities here in Florida are hosting it. Probably too hot. But uh, some Canadian cities got some of the venues and the Mexico got a couple. So it, Canada, Mexico, and the United States are actually sharing hosting duties uh, for 2026. And if I'm still around, maybe I'll think about going. Uh, had I hit Mega Millions or Powerball when it was in the billion dollars, I think I might have found a way to go to Qatar. I think that would be a, a fascinating trip to go there and see all of that experience, all of that. Of course, I didn't hit it. And yes, please remember to hit the thumbs up button as you are watching tonight. Going to now bring up the Jamie Valdez poll, and then I'm going to uh, get right into this Idaho massacre, which which is uh, kind of strange because it was on my list of things to talk about last week, but I ran out of time. But now it's getting moved up because so much, we now know so much more and just want to kind of try to analyze all of this. As all of you know, I'm not a murder guy. I'm a disappearance guy, but I've had a chance to talk to a couple of my assistants, Cherie and Emily about it. And then I've had a couple long conversations. I don't think she'd mind if I say her name. Uh, the guest, uh, Reggie, who was the guest for the Kyle Fleischman episode from a couple months ago. She and I have also been going back and forth about, uh, a lot of the news that has come out. So uh, I'm going to talk about that next. But so I guess it was, wasn't was worthy enough to get into the news last Monday, even though it was on the itinerary, just ran out of time because I really don't like going more than two hours. Uh, but we're going to talk about it here in a bit. But the Jamie Valdez poll, that's the episode that came out this past Friday, November 18th, 2022. His sister, Sean, was the guest. She did a spectacular job. And the poll that was put into the discussion group was, did Jamie leave his car where it was found, or did somebody else put his car where it was found? And what I would call, not overwhelmingly, but convincingly, that in the discussion group, convincingly, uh, the choice of somebody else put his car there was the winner of that poll. There was just two choices, and in the discussion group, a large majority of the people uh, picked that somebody else. So I guess they're saying, saying that there was some sort of foul play angle to Jamie's disappearance, or maybe, for example, he overdosed and people covered it up. Now, in the think tank, it was maybe no surprise, uh, and you can get into the think tank if you'd like to go to patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast to check it out. 
with your subscription, of course. In the think tank, which was conducted yesterday evening, uh, we came to the exact opposite conclusion. In fact, I think every person who was in there last night decided that Jamie, he himself, uh, parked that car. All He was there all by himself. He's the one who put that car there and then walked off. That's kind of where the consensus ended, though. Uh, I think that even though everybody thought, thinks or thought that Jamie put his own car there, really could not come to a consensus as to why he did that and what was going through his mind. Was he high? Was he having some sort of diabetic episode? Was he just going to go off? He was in his right mind and was going to commit suicide because of the argument with his wife really could not come to a consensus on that. Given that the electronics of the battery cables, some of the things were tampered with. Maybe we could look back at that prior incident with him thinking there was a bomb in his car when it wasn't. Maybe we can look at that. Maybe that then meant that he was having some sort of manic episode, a paranoid episode, uh, kind of seeing, not seeing reality the right way. It's just not clear. But we did some pretty good talking about what happens when you start to have diabetes overtake you. You're not taking your medication uh, the right way. We talked about um, suicide. We, We tried to jump into all of that as best we could, but really no consensus on what could have caused him to do what we think he did. Now, me... I uh, also believe that he left the car there by himself um, and walked off or ran off. And given the the facts as we know them, the, the scene there with the car, that I think that he did kind of revert back to what had happened before. He was having some sort of paranoid episode. And it very well may be that he thought the car was going to blow up again and he ran away from it. And that's why some things dropped out on the ground and he just kept running. And then maybe that's when his diabetes problems kicked in and he died and he just just hasn't been found yet. But overall, Jamie just had a lot going on. And that's why the theme for the episode, the title of it was a fine line. You can live with many people live with all the exact same things that Jamie had and live long lives, maybe making into their sixties, if not their seventies, but all it takes is one little push this way, a little trigger that way, an argument, some sort of stress and, um, People who have all these things going on are not equipped to deal with them. They already have so much going on, a health issue, a mental, uh, a physical health issue, a mental health issue, a relationship problem. I mean, how much more can a person take? So I took that all into account in determining that Jamie most likely left the car there all by himself and ran off just because he was having some sort of episode. So once again, if you'd like to uh, check out what I wrote on the blog, it's patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast for the low, 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 low price of $2 a month. Okay, let's get into this Idaho massacre. 
lots to cover here. And you know that even though these are four murders for for what I would say unique murders, and I'll get into that, I'm always looking for what can I learn from it, even though these aren't disappearances, but for murders with the bodies left behind. We know what the murder weapon was. We know there was tons of DNA, all of that forensics, kind of the opposite of what we do here at Un- Unfound. But I'm always looking for that kind of information that I can take over into the missing persons realm. So that'll be a discussion. And this is especially fitting because I am working on two disappearances, uh, a couple, a, a young couple that were on a college campus and went missing and are missing uh, a few decades later. So this is probably why all of this is at the forefront of my mind too, because lately I have been looking at school crime, on-campus crime, not just colleges, but high schools. Why do they happen? Who usually commits those crimes? Just within the last month or so, it's just been kind of concentration, kind of in the background. I'm doing the episodes that you hear every Friday, but I'm doing work in the background as well. Now, you know there's been like a million articles written about this. Since it happened, I just happened to pick one out uh, to read. And I did watch the news conference. When was it yesterday? How long did it go? 20 minutes or something? I don't really think a lot came out of it. And I don't think anybody should be surprised by that. So I'm just going to read this article. And then I have a lot to talk about. Maybe comparing it to... um, Maybe one situation, one massacre you didn't know about, and then one that you certainly do know about. All right. With the investigation into the killings of four University of Idaho students in the town of Moscow now entering the second week, and you should know we covered a disappearance uh, from Moscow, Idaho, was the disappearance of Gala Shaper. That's true. Authorities say efforts to find the culprit in the attack are ongoing. We're trying to expedite everything that might possibly lead to a suspect. Latah County Prosecutor Bill Thompson said Saturday, the four students killed Ethan Chapin, Kaylee, uh, and I'll have to admit, uh, Goncalez, Exana Canodal, and Madison Mogan were discovered by police last Saturday or last Sunday in an off-campus home. The victims were stabbed to death, according to a county coroner. And the weapon used has yet to be found. Thompson was one of the several officials who spent about two hours at the crime scene Saturday as a part of the active investigation. I wish we had more answers and they're still asking questions, Thompson said. With a town and campus community increasingly concerned over the homicides and lack of answers in the case, many students have left Moscow ahead of the fall break. Police clarified last week they were unable to determine if the public was at greater risk. We cannot say that there's no threat to the community. And as we have stated, please stay vigilant, report any suspicious activity, and be aware of your surroundings at all times. Many professors canceled classes last week, including Zachary Turpin, who wrote on social media, he can't in good conscience hold class until police release more information or identify a suspect in the murders. 
The Moscow Police Department is leading the investigation with assistance from the FBI as well as state and local law enforcement agencies. In a Friday night statement, Moscow Police said investigators had completed 38 interviews with people who may have information about the murders. Local businesses have been contacted by detectives to determine if a fixed blade knife had been recently purchased. Three dumpsters located on a street near their home were also retrieved to search for potential evidence. An email tip line was provided for those in the area to help with any information. Detectives were working on processing nearly 500 tips received as of Friday late afternoon. 500 tips. Investigators uh, this week have started to build a timeline of events regarding the students and their last known whereabouts before the fatal attack. Chapin and Canoodle attended a party at the Sigma Chi fraternity house from 8 to 9 p.m. Saturday. Goncalves, Calvez, and Mogan were at a local sports bar between 10 p.m. and 1.30 a.m. The pair were then seen ordering from a nearby food truck. Maybe many of you have seen that video. As they waited for about 10 minutes for their food, they chatted with each other as well as other people standing by the truck. The man who manages the truck told CNN the pair did not seem to be in distress or in danger in any way. I agree. Goncalves and Mogan used a private party for a ride. I think it was Uber or Lyft arriving home at 1.45 a.m. Police said in their update, all four victims were back at the house by about 1.45 a.m. Sunday. Investigators do not believe the driver was involved in the deaths. From there, authorities are working to determine how and when the attack transpired. According to Moscow police, it was not until just before noon Sunday when a 911 call was received about an unconscious individual and responding officer, officers found the four students killed. Police have said there are no signs of forced entry. One officers arrived. One of the doors used to access the house had a key bad lock, which requires a code to gain entry. Uh, the sister of one of the dead girls said the residence was known to be a party house that some previous visitors may have had access. That's a big, important part. So I won't say they were very private with that code, the sister said. The house also had a sliding door, which could have been used to gain entry. The 911 call came from a phone belonging to one of the two surviving roommates, although we now know that it was not one of the roommates who used that phone to make the 911 call. The two were at the home during the attack and were not injured, which is probably one of the more bizarre parts of this these murders. Police do not believe the two were involved in the crime. The students were likely asleep before being attacked, citing the Latah County coroner. Some of the four had defensive wounds, though it is not specified how many victims did, and there were no signs of sexual assault. Earlier this week, uh, Jeff uh, Kernodal uh, told uh, local TV his daughter fought off her attacker through the very end. Bruises torn by the knife. She's a tough kid. Olivia Goncalves told the New York Times there were seven unanswered calls made from the sister's phone to her former boyfriend, this guy Jack, between 2.26 a.m. and 2.52 a.m., based on information from phone logs. Uh, She told New York Times the frequency of the calls was not unusual, and her sister would often call people repeatedly until they answered the phone. CNN has made numerous attempts to contact Olivia uh, Goncalves. The boyfriend's mother told CNN on Saturday she had no comment out of respect for the wishes of the families. All right. Like I said, this happened not yesterday, Sunday, but a week ago, Sunday. So that would have been 
uh, November 13th. I wanted to get to it last week, but I didn't. And uh, here we are eight days later. And uh, like I said, I've been talking to Reggie. Uh, Reggie is a woman, you'll remember, from the Kyle Fleischman episode. I was talking to her both yesterday and today about all of this, throwing around some ideas. And she did ask me at one point, do you think the police know what they're doing? You know who it did it? And they just haven't uh, gotten the guy yet. Uh, the answer, I think, is no. Um, I, I think that if the police even had an inkling who did this, that this person would have been picked up for jaywalking. At this point, maybe not totally can't prove it yet. No DNA or anything like that. But if this was somebody who had a reputation around the area, maybe somebody who was uh, maybe walked the streets and might have um, maybe been a little paranoid talking about the end of the world and things like that. And the police thought that this person did it. That person would have been scooped up very quickly. You're not going to let somebody who did something like this just roam around, especially given that it seems, even though they said this was a targeted attack, well, if it was a targeted attack, that means somebody meant to kill these four people. Well, the the number of people who would have wanted these four people dead has to be very, very few. The circle has to be very, very small. So... I just don't think, as I do this show on Monday night, on November 21st, 2022, I don't think that the police know who did it. I don't. I think that they would not take any chances if they did. Now, there's some stats that you need to know before I get into some comparison, comparing, and contrasting of all of this. You should know this. Because I've been looking into this. Like I said, I'm working on two disappearances. These, this young couple disappeared from a college campus. They were at a party on a college campus, and they disappeared. Their car was found later. So this has been on my mind well before this all ever happened. You have to remember, both at the high school and college level, most on-campus crime are committed by students or former students. We can look at all of these High school shootings like Columbine and, and you know, um, all of them. Just ones just to come to your mind off the top of your head. And uh, like the one that Alex Jones, can, you know, created that whole conspiracy theory. All of these, most of them, not all of them, most of them are committed by students or prior students. Maybe we can go back to the horrendous massacre at uh, Virginia Tech from some years ago. The guy who did that was a student, and he had it all planned out. He locked the doors and had the guns. He planned it out, and that's how he was able to kill as many people as he did. And then maybe more recently, um, Uvalde. Um, I don't know if anybody was really surprised in the end what went on there. Uh, of course, the biggest surprise about all that is what the police should have done but didn't. 
But you need to understand when you think about campus crime, campus murder, campus rape, campus graffiti, can- schools being stolen, uh, cars being stolen on campuses, most of the time, students are the ones who do it. So that doesn't, of course, it's not a guarantee. It's not 100%. But you should be thinking about these murders in that context. It certainly could be that this was some person uh, who never went to that university. It's certainly possible. There is a possibility. But the stats say the person who did this has some connection to the school some way. In addition, given that the United States has so many guns in it, when we start thinking about people being stabbed to death, multiple people, in close quarters like that, this is not usually a crime you think of in the United States. They happen, of course, in a, in a country of 330 million people, you're going to have all sorts of crimes being committed. In fact, I would say probably the United States, uh, given our population, how big this country is in the population, we probably have more diverse types of crime than anywhere else in the world. And, uh, you know, a lot of things go into that. But stabbings where multiple people are killed in the United States as a percentage of overall crime is not very common compared to stabbings in other countries. Why? Because most other countries don't have as many guns. You know, people, you know, in the United States, usually if somebody decides I'm going to go kill a bunch of people, the person's going to get a gun or already has a gun. And really, let's just be honest, it's easier to kill a lot of people with a gun than with a knife. With a knife, you have to get real close and there's going to be maybe be some fighting, although it seems in this particular uh, instance, this killer was able to surprise all four of them somehow. But when people decide they want to kill a bunch of people, they usually just have a gun or get a gun legally, illegally. Whereas in the, most of the rest of the world, if somebody has that uh, inclination, the desire to do that, they have to rely on knives because guns are so restricted in these other countries. But you still have a lot of massacres in other countries, but it's just more common there because knives are used a lot more. In the United States, the percentage of overall massacres done by knives is very much smaller because we have guns. Have to remember that. So then we have to start thinking, well, then why wasn't a gun used? If somebody decided, I want to go into that house and I want to kill these people, what would be the reasons that somebody wouldn't use a gun? Well, we can throw around these ideas. Uh, Why wasn't a gun used? Maybe this was a spur-of-the-moment thing and the person didn't have one. This could be maybe earlier in the evening this person felt offended by one of those people or a group of them, even though it seems like they were two different – two of them, the pairs were in different places earlier that night. But this could have happened before. And maybe this person just decided on the spur of the moment, I'm going to kill these people. I've been in a party at that building before. Uh, I know how to get in, but I don't have a gun, but I have easy access to this knife that I know somebody else has. 
and I can go in and take it. Or maybe this person just had the knife for just whatever reason. And so that's why a gun was used. Maybe the person didn't have any money. Wanted to get a gun, didn't have money to buy one, didn't know how to steal one. So uh, knives are cheaper than guns generally. Although I've underst- uh, my understanding is this gun, the knife that was seemingly used in all of these murders is not a cheap one. This isn't some wasn't some Ginsu steak knife that you get from an infomercial on late night TV. And so maybe that's going to help uh, police figure out who did this because the knife was kind of unique. They called it a Rambo knife, but let's just be clear. Just about any kind of knife can be used as a lethal weapon, even a butter knife. If you, if you, you know, stab hard enough. So let's not get caught up. Oh, it's a Rambo knife. It's not a steak knife. Any knife under the right conditions can kill. But like I said, we have to think about this. Why would somebody choose to do this and not do, let's just call it the American thing of going in there and shooting up? Maybe the other reason, shoot it all up. Maybe the other reason is that using a gun, of course, is very loud. And so maybe this person thought, thinking ahead, I'm going to sneak in there. I'm going to kill these people while they sleep and stabbing somebody as long as they don't scream. That's going to be a lot quieter than using a gun. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, the person could maybe just get a silencer. Silencers are not as quiet as Hollywood makes them out to be. Trust me, you would not want your ear to be near uh, a gun even with a silencer on it. And, of course, it depends on the gun, but they aren't as quiet as you think. I watch a lot of gun videos. As you know, I am a gun owner. I, I'm not a gun obsessed. I only have, like, four guns, and I don't ever see me having more of that the rest of my life. But I do watch a lot of gun videos, and, and um, silencers, they take the decibel down from, like, 200 decibels, like, down to about 190 decibels. It's not like James Bond where it's just like, you know, it's something quiet. So even if the person had a gun with a silencer on it, it's still going to be very loud. Not to mention the close quarters in a building. You are going to deafen yourself. As soon as you pull the trigger the first time in a room like that, you're going to see stars. And that's the last thing you want if you're trying to kill four people. So maybe there's that. So we have to think about why would somebody use knife? Might not have had access, doesn't have the money, spur of the moment where there's no access, wanted to be quiet, all sorts of different reasons. And keeping in mind that um, stabbings like this where multiple people are killed as a percentage of overall murders in the United States is a much lower percentage than it is anywhere else in the world. I'm just going to read some uh, what everybody is um, saying. Fishing says, just not getting time to check in. Missed too much. Love the show, Ed. Thank you, Fishing. You're kind. Glenn says, hello, Glenn. Initially, the police said there was no threat. Uh, yeah, but then backpedaled days later and said people need to exercise caution. Difficult to understand why they would say that so quickly. Glenn, I'm really not going to get into that. Uh, that's more of a procedural public relations thing. I'm just looking at the crime itself, but you're, what you're stating is true. 
Uh, Shree says, someone who felt wronged in some way by the four, in my opinion. That's certainly a choice. Emily, if it was targeted, why kill all four when they were sleeping? Also, those two other women were likely saved by sleeping in the basement, in my opinion. Yep, there were two. that's what also makes this so strange. Why did whoever do this kill those four and not the two downstairs? I think we have to be open to the idea that either it was target, targeted for these four, and it very well could be that only one of the four was targeted, but because the others were there, the other ones couldn't be avoided. The person had to kill all four because they were so close together or something. Uh, and it very well may be the killer didn't even know those two people were downstairs, which then we have to start thinking, well, how long did those two people live down there? Could it be somebody who just thought the, four, the three, and I understand the guy lives somewhere else? We have to start thinking about that. Screaming depends on the caliber and quality of the suppressor, but yes, Ed is correct about silencers. Yes, uh, certainly screaming. If it's a 22 with a silencer, that is going to be quieter than a 10 millimeter with a silencer. But still, it's not something you want your ears to be around. It's just not at all. And uh, I've been to the gun range twice within the last three weeks. So getting back to it, and there's guys there with 22s with silencers. And like I said, I got my ear, my ear protection on. It's not quiet. I mean, you trust me. We're shooting there. People surely well down the road in any direction can hear. So we have to think about all of that. Why a knife? Why were these two other roommates not killed? It's a huge part of all of this because it does seem this a very rare circumstance. Kathy says, I believe Ethan, you are in the wrong place, wrong time, two unharmed, their doors were locked, sometimes targeted three girls. Yes, and this is something, maybe a safety type of thing that I could talk about right now as I talk about this. Um, even though I live in a building that has uh, security down you know, there's a security arm there and the security guards carry guns. And even though you need a special key to get into the elevator, and even though, um, of course, the, the front door of my condo right over there is pretty solid and is locked, I still sleep with my bedroom door locked. And of course, I have my gun on the dresser or on the nightstand. Um, I still do all of that, even though I live in a building such as this. I would recommend that to all of you. If you just live in a regular house, don't sleep in your bedroom with the door wide open. Don't do that. That is not safe. It's one of the reasons that uh, the original Night Stalker got away with everything that he did. Too many people sleeping in their bedrooms with doors unlocked. Just lock the door. Do it. Sarah, that is not a healthy way to live. What do you mean it's not a healthy way to live, Ed? What are you talking about? Um, so moving on. So these are a lot of things we have to consider that maybe are not obvious. These are some stats and things you're not going to get in the regular news because nobody um, you know, really looks into these things. You have to understand how odd this kind of murder is, these murders are, in the context of overall violence in the United States. Moving on, the skinned dog story. <laughs> Sarah says you can't relax. 
I'm relaxed because I'm secure, Sarah. But anyway, um, the skinned dog. I don't know what to make of this story. Uh, it was uh, some weeks before this, about three miles away. These people had said that they let their dog out and it didn't come back and they found it skinned. I know it's been on the major news channels. I'm not sure what to make of this. Uh, I, I, it seems to me that everybody is accepting this as a true story. As a person who covers disappearances and hear, thus hears a lot of crazy stories, I, I don't know if this is true or not. You have to remember, a lot of people love infusing themselves into these things just because they love the attention. A lot of kooks out there. And there's, I think, just some things that I don't quite understand about this story. Are they saying that they let the dog out and they're just having to be somebody? I realize it seems like they had like a pretty big yard and everything. Are they saying that somebody was on their property and they didn't know it? Are they saying that uh, the dog ran off like it was on its in its yard and then ran off somewhere else, like down the road into somebody else's yard, into the woods? We don't know. my experience, even though I don't have a dog, is usually people let their dogs out for five minutes, and if the dog doesn't come back, they go around looking for it. Or they said, did they actually go out and try to find this dog? There are just a lot of stories that are up in the air regarding all this. Obviously, if the story is real, then this is horrible. And dare I say it, I, as you know, when it comes to disappearances... I get a little leery when stories uh, get a little too convenient. It just seems so pat. It just happens to fit right in with everything that we think about a disappearance. And I start thinking, that sounds a little too good to be true. Now, obviously, this isn't good. But from an investigation standpoint, it is good. But that's what I mean. It's almost a little too quaint. Too pat a story. Too convenient. Very well may be true, but are we sure that the dog was skinned? Are we sure that it didn't just get hit by a car and got its skin, some of its skin knocked off by a sharp bumper or something? Are we sure about that? And then are we sure that that didn't happen, then the dog dies, and then an animal, some other animals come along and start eating at it and taking, taking the fur off of it? I, I know this is disgusting, but we have to... Think about these things. We just can't accept because somebody said the dog was skinned that it was skinned. We just can't do that. So I don't know um, what to make of it. Let me see what everybody is uh, saying. Uh, Carrie says, I can't sleep with door open or uncovered. I feel exposed. Yeah, me too. Emily, who do y'all think was likely the target of the four? To me, it seems like it'd be either Kaylee or Madison. If it was targeted at all, Emily. But yeah, everybody can offer their opinions, please. Uh, Emily sleeps with the bedroom door locked. Kathy, Emily, the three girls, someone who had been watching them. Sarah, any updates in Jessica Hamby case? None that I know of. Emily, Kathy, but which specific girl? Kathy, Emily, not a specific one. This is a person with a fantasy, Kathy says. Now, just recently I spoke about, you know, to compare this to another kind of massacre, We can't forget what happened in Ohio in Pike County when all those people got murdered. Remember that? 
just talked about that, not maybe last week or the week before, how that trial's going on. Maybe it's done now. But it took four people to kill, how many was it? Eight, 11 people in three different locations. And what do we know about all of that? All of them were killed with guns. And this was something that was very, very personal. Now, I will say that I think that the people... The, per, the guy who instigated all of this and got the rest of his family to go along with it was crazed and deluded and everything else, thinking that uh, this, this daughter was going to be sexually abused. I don't know if there's any proof of that that was going to happen or it was happening. I don't know. But people can convince themselves of a lot of things that aren't true. So we have uh, an opportunity to look at that. But what do we know? Very, very personal. These people went through, uh, did a lot of planning to get away with killing all those people in three different locations. And they got away with it with what, four or five years? I guess what I'm saying is don't be so sure that they're going to catch this killer quickly. If this was something that was planned out, this person thought, These people in that apartment had it coming for whatever reason, whether real or imagined, then this could be a situation where it goes unsolved for a while. And maybe something else, another murder that I'll talk about right at this time is Missy Beavers. We know when she got to the church, we know what she was doing there. We know that somebody else was there vandalizing the place. The person is on video. We know the exact second that Missy was murdered. they ha- I think they do have video of her being murdered in the church. I think they have that, although they would never make that public. And that murder is still unsolved, what, five years later? And surely they have a lot of evidence there that, of course, the public will never know until the person is caught. So I guess what I'm saying is we should really tame our expectations regarding this just because there was a lot of blood just because there were four people murdered just because it was a knife just because of all of these things doesn't mean this is going to be solved tomorrow in fact it's already been eight days and they're still police are still asking for video from surrounding stores this tells me that they don't know who did it so please temper your expectations just like with the pike massacre All those people killed, multiple locations, and it took a while to figure that all out. And I have to tell you, regarding Missy Beaver's murder, I don't know if it will ever be solved. Just have to keep this in mind. This is not TV where everything gets wrapped up in 43 minutes. Emily, I think one of the surviving women may may hold the key, maybe. Uh, screaming, somebody knows something 90% of the time. Someone besides the perp knows something. I don't know, screaming. I, I, I have to tell you, covering disappearances like I do, that I'm not convinced of that. Uh, I think that even though I did the statistics recently, I think 62% of the murders or the disappearances that we've covered are murders. Um, I'm convinced in most of those that only one person knows what happened who living anyway, and that was the suspect. I'm pretty convinced of that. We can even look at uh, Carlos Rodriguez. There's no proof that anybody else be sweet be- besides Carlos knew that he killed Zoe Campos. No proof of that because nobody else has been charged with anything. 
So I would uh, don't think that 99.5% uh, statistically is true. A lot of uh, people killing people all by themselves. Carrie, wasn't that over a child custody case, the Pike Massacre, Pike County Massacre was? Kathy and Emily, uh, I initially thought it would be someone with a relationship with one or more of the girls, but what we know so far points to someone who was watching them. Uh, Shree agrees with Kathy. Emily, I agree with you screaming. With the amount of blood that was at the scene, someone had to see something, but that person that seen something may be scared to come forward. TD, this just seems like a high-risk operation for one person to pull off. So much could go wrong with that many people in a house. TD, you're right. And so it kind of then does have a feel of the Pike County Massacre in which people were convinced to do something uh, that might – that it was like it had to be done or else. That's what has come out of that trial. This guy was convinced uh, that his uh, son's daughter was going to be sexually abused by this other family. And so they all, he convinced the rest of them, this had to be done right now. And so they planned it out and did it. So, yeah. Uh, Cult of Bunny says, I think it was random and it may happen again soon. Let's hope not. Um, Emily, if it was someone who knows them personally and then maybe less likely to come forward, I hope they get answers quick and this isn't a serial killer. Kathy, Emily, both of my parents graduated from University of Idaho. Wow, you do have a connection to that, Kathy. Wow, okay, Sheree. Unless they were asleep, this was not a battle. They were asleep in their beds, yeah. Like I said, uh, just what the article says, there were defensive wounds. So at some point they woke up. Now, something else to think about. There is a murder, a series of murders that kind of go along with what happened in Moscow, Idaho. And that is, and coincidentally, it happened right here in Florida in the early 90s. And that was the Gainesville Ripper who um, killed students from uh, the University of Florida. That's where Gainesville is. Uh, that's where the University of Florida is in Gainesville. And I did not put his name here. I'm not going to publicize his name, but he was eventually caught. But what he did in killing these students, these victims, um, was also with a knife. And he was not a student at the University of Florida. In fact, he was a guy who was, I think, much older than the students there. But I think he was living in the woods. He was doing this. He was doing that. And for some reason, he just decided he was going to kill some people. And he killed five uh, in Florida. And then he also killed three in the state of Louisiana. And it was just luck that he got caught. He had said something. He had stopped somewhere and said something to somebody. And this person knew about the murders in Gainesville. And this person alerted law enforcement. And that was the only reason that this guy got caught. It was not forensics. Eventually it was forensics once they found out who he was and maybe fingerprints and everything. But uh, had this, uh, he had he not kind of said something kind of strange to a certain person, he might not have never been caught. But he was eventually caught. In fact, he was executed here in Florida, I think, in 2006. And an a interesting trivia point regarding all of this is that the Gainesville Ripper was eventually the motivation, the inspiration for the Scream movies. The Gainesville Ripper. 
But if you look him up, you'll find him on Wikipedia. You can read about it. You will see the similarities between that back in the early 90s and what happened in Moscow, Idaho, just uh, just a week ago, a little over a week ago. So the question is, is that a coincidence? Or was the person in Moscow, Idaho, inspired by the Gainesville Ripper, maybe inspired by the Scream movies or something? I guess we have to uh, be open to that. But what this shows, though, is even though a vast majority of crime committing on college and high school campuses are by students, the Gainesville Ripper was not a student. And this, of course, could make it even tougher if that's the situation in Moscow or Moscow, whether they catch this person, maybe it's even multiple people, but um, at least in recent crime history, we do have something to compare. Of course, maybe we can even go back and talk about Ted Bundy, but um, the Gainesville Ripper uh, has been comp- this recent massacre has been con- compared to what the Gainesville Ripper did. So if you've not heard of that before, you certainly want to look that up. Now, some other things uh, that have come out in all of this is in talking to, like I said, this former guest, Reggie, and she's asked me a bunch of questions and she did. There was another uh, something that I didn't put in here. I guess back in September, there was a, uh, a campus-wide alert that there was somebody on the campus of University of Idaho who was going around and threatening people with a knife. And she asked me, well, could, could that be connected? I said, well, I'd have to know more about that. Uh, did this person get caught? Where, was the first, where did the first call come from? Uh, if this person got away, how did this person get away? If it's actually a student walking to class and somebody took out a knife and chased her, then how exactly did this person get away? College campuses, of course, have cameras all over the place. What exactly happened? And so it just seems like it's a story without a lot of context. And you know how I feel about those things with regarding disappearances. When you just hear, well, I heard, well, we have to start looking at, well, then what happened? What happened before that? What happened after that? Was the school locked down? If it wasn't locked down, does that mean they didn't take the call seriously? It just doesn't sound to me like it was a real thing. This almost sounds to me like some sort of sort of prank or somebody uh, who's drunk, something like that, or high. We know a lot of drugs are done on school campuses. It sounds to me more something like that than a real story. Because you would think, uh, because there's no news out there that this person was ever caught. Well, how does that happen? The person is threatening multiple people on this campus. Somebody calls 911 and the person gets away. Where did the person go? So there's that. Um, it's scary. It's scary. Uh, I went to a school campus where there was, there was no violence. Uh, Grove City College had no violence, although it's kind of like in that same area, although University of Idaho is certainly a bigger school than where I went. But still, Moscow, Idaho and Grove City, Pennsylvania, 
kind of the same thing out in the middle of nowhere. Of course, the way I look at it, everything in Idaho is out in the middle of nowhere, but that's just me, the Floridian talk. So I I just want to, anybody who's watching tonight or listening to this as a podcast on Tuesday, November 22nd or somewhere down the road, there's a lot to take in here, a lot that you just don't get from the regular media. You just don't get it. And that's why I'm trying to pass along a lot of this to you. You have to understand how rare this type of uh, situation is in the United States. You have to understand that guns, when people usually want to kill a group of people, they get guns here in the United States and other countries like Japan where nobody has any guns. That's not happen. You have to start looking at why would a person choose to use a knife. We have to understand that most of the time, although not all the time, most of the time on-campus crime is committed by students or former students. We might even look at what happened down with those Virginia football players where they were killed by a former teammate who was also a student there. And this guy had had problems. Um, he was carrying a, a gun on campus and he wasn't, you know, of course he shouldn't have been doing that. But he was with those rest of those guys. They went to a play, and it was on the way back is when he shot them. So he spent all these hours with these guys and then shot them at the end of this trip. So this is another sign, though, that when violence happens happens on campuses, it's usually by the students themselves. So very sad. But if I had to guess right at this moment that this was some uh, student or former student, although I'm not convinced at this point that I I know that targeting has been uh, a discussion here in the chat, and I'm not here to argue with anybody. I start wondering why if somebody, one of them was targeted, then could this person not get to the target outside of the house? Because you have to remember, if you want to kill somebody and you don't live with that person, we talk, we talk about in disappearances how many times wives are most likely killed by their husbands. Well, the reason the husbands choose to kill their wives at home is because that's a protected area. That's an area that the husband can control especially if they have no children. And even then, depending on how old the children are, they might not even realize what happened. That's why husbands kill their wives at home because it's a protected area. Um, The police will need a warrant to get in there. If there's no forensics evidence, they just can't walk in. There's a reason most of this stuff takes place at home. But if you are trying to kill somebody who you hate, probably the first choice is not trying to get into their house. Now, of course, if you have a pass key or a code like might have been the situation here, certainly makes things easier, but it still becomes very difficult. It's still very difficult. Because what's the number one rule? Killers want to get away with their crimes. If they're not, even people who might be a little off, insane, schizophrenic. They still usually have tendencies in which they try to get away with their crime. 
So we have to start thinking, why would somebody, if, if it was targeted, why would this person choose to kill one of those girls or the guy inside that apartment, which seems like one of the riskier choices that someone could make? Now, maybe the person doesn't have it. There, there's no other opportunity. Maybe that's the answer. We just don't know. But if you want somebody dead, the last place to try to kill them is as home. Now, that's what was so unique about the original Night Stalker, that he could go into people's houses, had no problem doing that and pulling it off. And it very well may be that this killer, you know, got some inspiration from that. So this is the way I, I, I'm looking at it eight days into all of this. Um, I'm going to read all the chat's uh, comments now. Call to Bunny. Yes, I'm in Florida. I remember that. It's very similar, and I, that's why I think it's random. Okay. Sheree, right? But they weren't up fighting. They woke up after they had been stabbed and tried to fight off the attack, right? They were ambushed in their beds. Uh, that's that's how I understand it. Uh, no defensive wounds. Uh, call also Richard Speck in Chicago is similar. Sheree says, I hear so much talk about how much, how could one overtake four if you are asleep? Yeah. I think the sound thing is the big issue. You get stabbed in the middle of the, of course, not once again, not to be morbid, but this is what we do here. You can't yell if your throat's been slit. Kathy, Sheree, my parents were both, okay, three years older than my mom. Emily, I totally agree, Charlie. Sheree, it's easier to overtake someone who is asleep in the dark. But it's the but I think we have to remember it's the dark for everybody. Are we then saying that this person had night vision goggles on or something? Maybe. How do you stab people if you can't see anything? It's very difficult. And especially when if you're coming in from the outside, there might have been like a street light or something. It's going to take a while for your eyes to adjust. We know that can take maybe a minute or so. And this is once again why if you're looking to kill somebody, using a gun is a lot easier. Why? You don't have to get close to the person, and you can just start shooting, and uh, you're likely to hit something in the dark. Whereas with stabbing, you got to get close, and who knows? You might be stabbing the bed. You might be stabbing a body. You might be stabbing a pillow. You could run the knife into a dresser, and it gets stuck there, and you can't pull it out. A lot of things can go wrong. Screamy says, almost always there are people, witnesses that heard, seen something or know the suspect and have suspicions, I guess is all I'm saying. Kathy, I really miss my parents. Uh, Emily, girl, yes, it is. It scares me. Ed, you are right. I know a very unpopulated state. Yes. Sarah says, the world has gone mad. Ah, I don't know about that. Uh, you have to remember, Sarah, despite everything and crime the last few years, uh, the United States, as far as violent crime goes, is still safer than it was in the 1990s. Uh, Emily, this kind of stuff makes me want to stay home and not go out unless I have to. Emily, just protect yourself. Emily, I wonder the same thing, Ed. This crime is so confusing to me because if they had a target, why kill all four? Emily, it wasn't like they were all four wide awake in a room and you had to take everyone out because of witnesses. They were all asleep. Uh, Emily, it very well could be that the person didn't know who he or she was stabbing because it was dark. We just don't know. Brian says, I wonder what's the motive for the kill killings. Uh, it's hard telling that without knowing who did it. Uh, as you know, most uh, the FBI estimates 
that 80% of violence is done between people who know each other. So it then would maybe make sense. So was it some jilted boyfriend, some jilted guy, an ex-boyfriend? Uh, maybe this – we can't rule out that a woman didn't, you know, didn't do this. A woman could have done this. Could have done it for sure. So that is uh, my coverage of the Idaho massacre. Probably is going to come up again. It's certainly if they catch somebody, and then uh, I think a lot of this will be known. Uh, the tough part is if it is a stranger, like it was with the Gainesville Ripper, there was nothing that I could find that ever they ever uh, figured out why he chose to do what he did. I mean, he had a really rough childhood and it was abused and everything, but why did he pick out these people, these students that day or those days? Nobody seems to know. And so we just have to be prepared for that. There was certainly some sort of motivation, but he never voiced it. And so we just have to guess. There was certainly a reason, just not a documented documented one that we could put any money on. Um. TD, super creepy to think the perp may watch and listen to these programs. Well, if he or she is out there, this is just what I do. Cherie uh, uh, said uh, said that today. Could have been a woman. It could have. We have to remember that uh, they were calling that guy Jack multiple, multiple times. Could be there was a woman there with him and said, who is this woman? She got pissed off, grabbed a knife. Stomped right over there, had been a party in there, and went in and just stabbed them. That's not crazy. Certainly not crazy thinking at all. Somebody was interested in Jack, and she thought that these other girls were getting in her way. Happens all the time. All right, I also want to talk about if we think that that was also a crazy and odd, I need to talk about this uh, case too. Debbie Collier. Debbie Collier's death has been ruled a suicide by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation Medical Examiner's Office, according to the Habersham County Sheriff's Office. The Habersham County Sheriff's Office said Friday autopsy results show Collier died from inhalation of superheated gases, thermal injuries, and hydrocodone intoxication. Investigators met with the family before sharing the autopsy findings. The sheriff's office offered condolences to Collier's loved ones in a statement. Um, and I'm not going to read that. Um, Collier was found dead and naked on September 11th in the Chattahoochee Okanee National Forest south of Clayton, a 90-minute drive from her home in Athens. Her husband, Stephen Collier, reported her missing around 6 p.m. the day earlier. She was discovered a few feet downhill from a site of a small fire from the site of a small fire with burns on her stomach, soot in her nostrils, and clutching at a small tree. Investigators initially said they did not see or have any evidence suggesting the incident was related to a kidnapping or suicide and are still considering the case a murder investigation. Investigator George Kaysen said they were investigating Collier's death as if it were a murder investigation, but investigators were still waiting for autopsy results. Collier was last seen alive at a family dollar store on September 10th, purchasing several items that were found burned near her remains. She also stopped by a Chick-fil-A restaurant beforehand. 
The missing persons report came after she was sent a bizarre Venmo payment to her daughter, Amanda Bearden, of almost $2,400, along with the cryptic message, they're not going to let me go. Love you. There's a key in the house. There's a key to the house in the blue flower pot by the door. Investigators have not clarified what the message meant or confirmed Collier sent it. Bearden and her boyfriend had moved back to Athens from Maryland just a few days before her disappearance. Bearden says law enforcement seized money from a Venmo, a payment her mother sent to her the day of the death. Uh, They have since released it back to her. At first, authorities said they were investigating her death as a homicide, but have since backtracked. So some of you, I don't remember if I talked about this when it first happened. It's a couple months ago now. But you'll remember there was a video of this uh, woman who had been parking cars, I think, at a George- University of Georgia football game. And then after she was done, she went to a convenience store, bought some of the items, some lighter fluid and some other things, and left. And she was never seen again. And then this, her daughter got this statement. And if you don't know what Venmo and it's like PayPal, you can send cash to people. And it sounded like she had been kidnapped. I know a lot of people or or, uh, abducted. And a lot of people were suspicious of her daughter. I guess her daughter has some law issues, as does, I think, her daughter's husband or something like that. And then her body's found and it's burned and everybody's thinking somebody really tried to burn her. Well, now what I'm telling you is that after this two-month investigation, they've decided that she... Um, what is that called? Self-immolation? Immolation? She burned herself to death. And if you don't know maybe what I'm talking about, uh, she set herself on fire. Uh, something that comes to my mind is that very, very famous picture from the Viet- around the Vietnam War where South Vietnam, the president of South Vietnam, was going after the Buddhists. He was a Catholic, didn't like the Buddhist population there, And so he was throwing them in jail or executing them. And because of this, a Buddhist monk went to an intersection in um, Saigon in South Vietnam. I forget what year. must have been late mid-60s, something like that, and burned himself, lit himself on fire. And there's a very famous um, photo of that. In fact, I think that photo... Uh, was used as the cover of one of the Rage Against the Machines albums. But people do this. But so the police are pretty satisfied. Is that what she, that's what she did? Now I think what the telltale sign of all in all of this is that she didn't just burn herself though. Before she did this, she had taken a bunch a bunch of hydrocodone, which I think is a pain pill probably to numb her feelings to what she was about to do. What this also probably tells me is that she probably had a hydrocodone addiction and nobody knew it. That she would have enough pills to cause hydrocodone intoxication with these pills just lying around for like from the last time she got some dental work done. It wouldn't seem so. I know me that uh, given that I've had a root canal done last year and all this dental work done, I've been given some pretty 
powerful pain pills and things. I don't take any of them. I go get them. And then as soon as I'm sure there's no pain and it would be, I'm just, I still am surprised all this work I've done after it's all done. And like the anesthesia wears off no pain whatsoever, but I just throw them out. I throw these pills out. They're just nothing but trouble. <laughs> um, but obviously she didn't do that and that she took so many, she had enough to cause danger to herself would tell me that she probably had an addiction was hoarding them for this exact thing. And so this is one of those reminders of why disappearances are so hard to determine what happened with them. It's so hard to come up with theories because missing people, because she was a missing person at least for a day, their actions are totally unpredictable. The actions of killers, like what we just talked about with the Idaho massacre, are predictable. What is one thing we can pretty much always say? People like getting away with their crimes. I don't care if it's graffiti, car theft, rape, jaywalking, or anything else. People like getting away. Speeding, uh, doing 75 and a 35 uh, people will come up with all sorts of reasons why they were doing going that fast. My kid was dying. I had to get home. I was going to uh, you know, go to the bathroom in the car if I didn't. People come up with all sorts of reasons to get out of trouble. It is the one, one of the, uh, like taxes and death, it's one of those assured things of life. But when it comes to the actual missing people, anything is possible. That's what makes it so tough. And they're not here to explain themselves. And even if they're not uh, an addict or had uh, mental health issues or anything else, um, their actions are still unpredictable. And this is, uh, this woman obviously wanted to kill herself out of all of the possibilities of doing that. She chose to light herself on fire, which seems to be the last choice that anybody would make. Because it would seem that that would be the most painful and would take the longest. It would you would think. The we just got talk. I was just got done talking about access to guns. She didn't have access to a gun. Could she not just take the hydrocodone pills by herself and uh, get into a hot bath and just pass out and her, her heart stops? Uh, she couldn't do that. Out of all the possibilities, she couldn't go to a, a, a bridge and jump. She chose to burn herself. I just, I, you know. But in, in talking, I, you know, and uh, I think, Sheree, you were the one who first even told me about this, is that I really never believed this was a murder or a kidnapping in the first place. I mean, really, what kind of killer is going to let uh, his victim uh, send a message to the daughter with money. What kind of killer is the killer is going to say, no, 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 no. You're sending that money to me. That's what they're going to do. They're not going to allow the, the, and I think if we are to 
kind of try to decipher. We, we don't run into many messages in the disappearances that we've covered so far. We have some like final phone calls. Maybe we could think about like TJ Murray, where he called his father saying he loved them and then hung up. Of course, people think foul play could have occurred in that disappearance. But when I read the statement now, knowing that she committed suicide by burning herself, and I read, they are not going to let me go. I think what she meant by they is they meant she meant the hydrocodone pills. I don't think that she was really trying to mislead anybody that she got kidnapped by someone. I think that she was just using a pronoun and the they, everybody was thinking it was like two or more people. The they actually meant the pills, which it seems to me might've been her addiction. They aren't going to let me go. I can't kick this addiction. I can't stop doing this. I know that I'm harming myself. Uh, that's the way we can now look at the statement, I think. But say she hadn't been found. Let's say that she pulled this off and she didn't burn herself to death somewhere where somebody could easily find her. What if she went really, 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 really deep into some national forest and did this? Would any of us really think that she burned herself to death? Of course not. What would think, yes, maybe the lighter fluid and these other things would be missing. What would we think? Well, she was going home and she got abducted and those things just got taken with her. They got tossed somewhere. Certainly didn't have anything to do with her actual disappearance. And we would have been totally wrong. It's crazy. It's so I feel very sad. Very sad. Um I think it would be interesting to know a little bit more about Debbie Collier and what was going on uh in her life. But I think I did read somewhere, although it wasn't in this article that I just read, that in the days or weeks before she disappeared, she was starting to give away stuff to people. I think I did read that. So this was something that had been on her mind. This was not a decision she made lightly. In fact, we know she went to that store to get that stuff. It was already on her mind before she ever got close to that store and bought those things. She went out and parked cars for the university, then went and bought the stuff in which she was going to use to burn herself to death. One of the, the the most unusual, unique stories that I think I've ever talked about on any live show ever in the last five years. So this is this is what makes all of this so tough. I'm trying to understand it, but I don't think that all the studying in the world is never going to explain something like that. And the truth is, I uh, could do Unfound in this live show for the next 40 years. I don't think there'll be another story like it again. Unless somebody's doing some sort of copycat, knows about Debbie Collier's story, and then decides I'm going to do that too. Other than that, I would not expect to see another story like that ever. Shree uh, says, really didn't see that coming. Yeah, me neither. I, I didn't think that it was a murder, but I didn't, certainly didn't think that she burned herself to death. Brian, 90 miles from her home is a pretty long drive. Why would she drive so far? Well, maybe... 
uh, Brian, maybe she was thinking I go that far away and maybe she, uh, I'm guessing Brian, she was thinking I'm going to successfully burn myself to a crisp and nobody will be able to identify me. You know, I don't know how we, we can't explain why she would even make the decision to burn herself when there are all sorts of other ways to kill herself. You know, how are we even supposed to get into why she drove 90 miles away? Um, Maybe to get the pill, Sheree says, please remember to hit the thumbs up button. Yeah, we got about uh, 17 minutes left. I know many of you on your phones, tablets, computers, we're lagging in the thumbs department tonight. Uh, the Rorical, very unusual way to unalive yourself. Yeah, very sad that she chose not to seek help. Sarah, giving stuff away is a major red flag. Sarah, it certainly is. That certainly, uh, if we knew that back at the time of her disappearance, I think it certainly would have pointed a lot, uh, a lot more people in the suicide direction. But it's one of those things, I think, Sarah, where they don't like publicizing that because as soon as, truthfully, let's just be honest, as soon as uh, the public gets the idea that this person committed suicide, people lose interest. It's just the way it is. Sheree, the war, you can say suicide here. Yes, you can say suicide here. Uh, just a couple more things. Uh, and then I want to cover one more true crime, uh, obsession story. Um, Emily earlier today, or maybe was it, was it yesterday or today, Emily? The, she alerted to me that it seems the FBI is going, to, uh, has been contacted regarding Jennifer Casper Ross's disappearance. You'll remember she disappeared in Reno, Nevada about 20 years ago. She was acting, um, unusually. She got dropped off by a taxi and then ran off. Remember, she ran back into the parking lot, jumped over a fence, never to be seen again. She was a dancer in some of the shows up there in Reno. Her mother, Carla, was the the guest. But uh, the the police who are responsible for the file on Jennifer's disappearance have uh, contacted the FBI to see if they can help in any way. We'll see what happens there. Uh, something that I'm working on now is what I'm calling the state. Like, you know, we have a state of the union address that the president does every year. And then governors do state of the state addresses. Although this is not going to be made public, I'm currently doing a state of the podcast study in which I'm looking at everything that unfound does. Uh, of course, branching out from the podcast itself. I'm looking at this live show. I'm looking at the YouTube channel. I'm looking at Patreon. I'm looking at the newsletter. Anything that I do in relation to this podcast is uh, getting studied. And uh, I'm thinking, although what continues to be the brightest uh, part of everything that I do is the podcast itself. Uh, you should know that this past, this just this October that just passed, uh, two weeks ago or however long ago it was, three weeks ago, um, was one of the best that Unfound has ever had. Six years in, uh, still breaking records. We had a really good month uh, for the YouTube channel, uh, both with views and with uh, contributions and super chat money, etc., I uh, had our best month with Spotify um, doing very well there. A lot of good things going on. Certainly nowhere near where I think they should be. But 
this October 2022 was uh, the best ever so far. Unfortunately, a lot of the other things that I do in relation to the podcast are not doing as well. There are things that I think I'm spending too much time on. So they're what I call inefficiencies in the process. So um, some of these things are going to have to be changed, if not deleted uh, totally. And I just haven't decided uh, what yet, because it's obvious that there could be maybe other things that I'm doing instead. I'm just not getting a, a very good bang for the buck or bang for the time uh, in, in some areas. And this is going to be a talk I'm going to have with uh, my assistants before the year is over, going through all of this and getting some honest opinions on it. So I, I'm putting this together right now. As you can imagine, there's a lot to cover. Between the live show, the YouTube channel as a whole, Unfound Now, all the Patreon stuff, the presentations, the newsletter, all of it. Everything is being looked at and seeing uh, if it's going to make its way into the future or not. What, here's two things that aren't going to change. The live show is not going anywhere. It'll be here because it's one of the, actually one of the best things that's happened this year is making this live show a podcast has been very, very good. That was a good choice on my part. Should have done it five years ago. But there are probably other things like that that are right in front of my face that I just can't see. This is something that was probably right in my front of my face that I should have done five years ago, and I didn't do it. So I'm looking at everything that way. The podcast isn't changing. This live show isn't changing. Some other things may get changed, get deleted. We'll just have to see. So I'm working on that, and I'm going to have a discussion uh, before we get to 2023 because that's when some of these changes are going to start. Uh, What else do I want to talk about before I finish with this one particular article that I want to read? I think that is about it. I hope everybody um, enjoyed the Dr. Telesco show from last week. Always love getting together with her. In fact, I will tell you, I'm trying to line up uh, interviewing her for an episode of Unfound. That's never been done. Maybe none of you realize that. But although I've been on her show many times, I've never interviewed her to talk about her background. Now, I know it because of all the the uh, talks that we've had, but um, of course, you, all of you don't know about that. I think you know that she was in, uh, in the NYPD for September 11th. Certainly like to get more into that with her. So I did send her an email this evening to see if she would be up for an interview like that. I think that would be fantastic. So we could get back to, uh, you know, the early days, maybe why she became uh, became a, a police officer and talk about September 11th and how she transitioned over into education. And maybe she could talk about some crimes and, and things that she experienced in her in her time, NYPD, some same things that she thought, saw. I think that that would be pretty interesting. So I sent her an email tonight. We'll see what she says. She says, no, totally fine. But, uh, given that I've been on her show so many times, it just was like, yeah, why have I not had her on unfound yet? That's, that's rude of me. It's very rude, Ed. 
All right. I want to read this article and it has to do with uh, true crime. I'm going to leave you with this and then I will talk about this Friday's podcast. From docuseries to TV shows, podcasts, books, films, you name it, true crime is an easy rabbit hole to fall into. Nowadays, content is king and there's major appetite for true crime. Half of Americans say they enjoy the genre. For docus, uh, Kelly uh, Bowling is an assistant professor at University of Nebraska-Lincoln. What we're seeing is more access to true crime content, more availability of true crime content, and more production of true crime content. So I think when you're looking at a popularity scale, it's just easier to access, said Bowling. But there's a consistent audience tapping into the true crime treasure trove. But who is that audience? I'm just reading the article. White women. YouGov polling found women 58% were more likely than men 42% to say they enjoyed true crime. So much so, it's a running joke on TikTok. I had no idea. Why does any of this appeal to women? Bowling, who studies true crime audiences, says it begins with a formula of sorts. So a lot of true crime is built off of media coverage, where the media has been shown to cover white victims more than victims of color in plenty of studies across decades. That continues to be the case. So if the media are covering mostly white female heterosexual victims, then that's what true crime is producing off of, because that's the media that they have access to. And so then they are tracking an audience that looks like that. So there's the audience, but what is it about true crime that keeps women engaged? A 2010 study published in the journal uh, Social, Psychological, and Personality Science, who knew something like that existed, found women were interested in the psychology behind a killer. Stories where women were victims and reading about survival. Amanda Vicari, the author of the study, told Forbes, Forbes, the consumption of true crime is likely a subconscious effort to protect and educate oneself. Some women say they have a healing experience when watching true crime. So a lot of victims in the audience, domestic violence survivors or other victims of crimes that didn't really see justice in their own lived experience, can listen to these narratives and see they're not alone. American interest in true crime as a form of infotainment dates back to the early 1900s. Normally, these were women journalists that were writing these columns, and mostly it was because they weren't allowed to write on the news. And so they were allowed to write what's considered more of a fluff piece, said Bowling. Fast forward to 2014, another journalist changed true crime's trajectory. The true crime podcast Serial exploded with a record-breaking number of listeners tuning in to hear the story of Adnan Syed, a Maryland man who at the time was convicted of killing his ex-girlfriend. The podcast became a true crime phenomenon. So it has been documented what is called the Serial Effect. Serial launched podcasts into a new realm, proving they could be profitable and garner millions of listeners It also expanded access to true crime content by entering the podcast world. They also flipped the traditional true crime narrative. And instead of making it victim-centric, they actually centered the accused as the truth teller, which also changed the genre significantly. By flipping the narrative, the level of engagement graduated from watching or listening to, in some instances, helping advance, solve, or clear cases. Eight years after the podcast release, podcasters dropped charges against Syed in October after serving 23 years in prison. 
Um, Said's lawyer, Justin Brown, told the Washington Post, I always get asked the question, did Serial help the case? It absolutely did help. There are more true crime podcasts that have exonerated wrongly convicted people or uh, one in particular that got a guy convicted. On the other side, they've also found, you know, perpetrators that did these crimes via DNA evidence. So, yes, there's good coming from the genre and people are attracted to it because they want to see justice served. A genre putting mystery and opportunity to get involved in the hands of the audience. So that is the article uh, I thought I wanted to read it. In fact, this is not the first time I've read an article about a study of true crime and how it's so popular with women and people trying to get to the bottom of why that is. So there you go. What did every uh, – going back to Ed's being audited uh, regarding my state of the podcast. That's funny. Um, Cherie says, as a white woman, I say we like true crime because men are so boring. And as a man, I have to read that. Okay, let's get to Friday's disappearance. This is another recent one. Of course, Jamie Valdez's was very recent. And we have another one. This was not the plan. This is just how it happened. Covering the disappearance of Jace Martin. So his first name really is Jace. J-A-C-E. That is not short for Jason. Um... It's Jace, and he has a sister, Victoria, who is the guest. He has another brother whose name is Cedric, and Jace also has a sister named Tabitha. Well, he went missing from Destrahan, Louisiana, on February 11th of 2020. So this is a disappearance that is getting near that three-year-old mark. And as I stated, his sister, Victoria, Martin, although I think she's married now, so maybe maybe she changed her last name. Maybe she didn't. But for the episode, she's going by Victoria Martin. And the episode's title is One More Thing. Now, many of you who are my age know where that saying comes from. And it's probably on my mind because I have 30-some episodes of Columbo saved on my DVR that I watch often. Uh, When I'm doing work, I will play mostly the old ones from the 70s, the ones that, that when it came back in the late 1980s, only a few of those are good, but the ones in the 70s are to die for. But anybody who watches has watched that show, you know that... His, one of his catchphrases is, oh, and one more thing. He'll be like walking out of a room. You think the scene's over, and then he'll automatically turn around. And he'll say one more thing, and usually it's that that um, shows more that's going on up in his head than maybe, of course, the killer realized. You remember this is – Columbo was a situation where the killer actually becomes partnered with the detective. It's, it's a very, very – unique uh, story writing process. But the reason that Jace's episode is being called One More Thing is because being that we just covered the disappearance of Jamie Valdez, you're going to see uh, a lot of similarities. Both of them had a day. Of course, uh, Jamie had an addiction problem. Jace had an addiction problem. Uh, Both had some maybe manic issues in their past. 
uh, both, uh, although Jace wasn't married at the time of his disappearance, he was living with, with a woman and they had not been in the relationship very long. We know that Jamie was married just for a short time living with her and her mother and her brother, who maybe some of you think might have actually been the cause of Jamie's disappearance. But where it all changes is that uh, the interview pretty much goes with Victoria like it did with Sean last week. But then toward the end, there's one more thing. And this is what makes it very different from Jamie's, uh, between Jamie's and Jace's disappearance. And I'm not going to tell you what that is uh, right now, but just when you think you'll have learned everything you can that is to be known about Jace's disappearance, Victoria and I are going to talk about one more major point. And uh, it's certainly going to, just when you think you know what happened, your mind might just be changed. Maybe. We'll just have to see. But uh, thank you, Lisa. You are very generous. Just a small tip for a great live show. You're very kind. Thank you, Lisa. Laura says, it's common for people who plan suicide to give things away in the days before. It is. Uh, stated that before. Thank you, Laura. Uh, Sheree says, Sarah, you have to let us know about Ed's pies. Everyone has a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, keep your head on a swivel and tell the important people in your life that you love them. Yes, uh, yeah, and we're uh, finishing up. Uh, this, I, the Sarah that is in this chat room is not um, my friend Sarah, although they spell their names differently. Uh, Sheree, I will surely tell all of you next Monday what uh, she thought of the pies that I'm bringing. I'm not making them. I'm going to buy them. I'm also getting the whipped cream, by the way. We can't have pies on without whipped cream. So there you go. That is tonight's live show. Thank you, everybody, who made uh, made the time on this Monday night, busy holiday week, to tune in. Uh, please subscribe. Please give the thumbs up. Please join. Uh, monetarily help us all out here. And covered a lot of stuff tonight. Uh, of course, mainly the Idaho massacre, which I talked about for a long time. But I think also we can learn a lot from this Debbie Collier suicide, which I don't think anybody saw any, saw that coming. So that's it. I'm done. Still got a little work to do before I go to bed. But uh, thank you all for tuning in. Could not uh, do the show without all of you, all the support uh, that you give Unfound. And everybody, please have a great Thanksgiving. If you do celebrate it, if you don't celebrate it, then maybe just have a day off and have pizza or something. Good night. Keep your head on a swivel and lock those bedroom doors. Bye-bye. See you, Charlie.